Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Happy Friday. If you're in your car listening right now, I want to tell you something. We're in our cars right now as well because we are on a Utah meetup. We're actually doing kind of a Utah pilgrimage greatest roads thing with like 20 cars behind us right now. Indeed. We are thrilled to have you along on the podcast as well. We're going on this Utah meetup as a precursor to hopefully doing pilgrimage in the future. Keep watching the everydaydriver.com website for information mm-hmm. regarding that. Many of you express interest in the, the European pilgrimage yeah. and we still definitely are planning and wanting to do it. This year, we decided to do the greatest roads in Utah and spend some time with fans of the show. We're out driving our cars. We're just getting out to drive. No in, cameras. In well, fact, the I next, guess there are some cameras. There's still cameras because it's us. Yeah. The next podcast, in fact, is going to be a little bit of a debrief where you can hear from some of those folks and from us about how the experience went. We're looking forward to that one as well. We've got a couple of great debates. We're going to jump right in. First from Alexander S., who says it's time for something with some more power. Okay. And we also have Felicia, who's a fledgling car girl and wants to get into track driving, which mm. is great. We got to jump right into Alex's email here because he writes from Charleston, South Carolina. He says he's 23 years old. He's been a follower of us for a few years. He found us from that S2000 RX8 first FRS piece Mm. from long ago. Yeah, yeah. He says he's That's cool. a few hundred episodes behind, but no matter. He is at Honda S2000 owner 03 that he bought in 2017 while he was in college. And he became interested partially because of that comparison video. But he says he knew within 10 seconds of driving <laughs> that this was the perfect first car to buy on his own. Okay. Now, four years and 50,000 miles of ownership later, he is still in love. And That's Todd, great. you would love the color that he chose. He got silver with lipstick red interior. Do I love that? I, I don't think so. I, I think I, that's actually not stuff I love, but it's, okay, it's you're enjoying it. It's classy with you know red silk boxers underneath your tuxedo. Color. I will say it's not the blue with blue. I don't understand why they ever did that. Oh, had a blue true. exterior with a blue interior, and I thought that was a little too much. But anyway. Well, Alexander says it served him well over the last four years, and up until two years ago, it was his only car. Mm. Now, he plans to do some autocross events with it, but he's preparing to switch to track events next spring. Okay. Now, he also owns some Radwood-era cars. Well, yeah, he, he does. One in particular, a 1987 Audi 5000 CS Turbo Quattro Avant. Mm. So this is the car, he says, that eventually became the A6 wagon. His grandfather is currently on his ninth Audi in a row dating back to the late 70s. Well, there's two, there's two things about that that shock me. First off, nine Audis in a row. He says he's had two and, 5,000s among those nine cars. And secondly, since the late 70s, that's actually keeping all those Audis for a while. You know, we've, we know it's generational when we're asked what car decade you like the best. It yeah, can be yeah. generational. It's just sort of the era you grew up in. But I love that this is family influence and that it's not mm-hmm. Ford or Chevy. That it's is interesting. Audis. You're right. It's that is bizarre. Yeah, cool. for sure. When Alexander was looking for his first project car a couple of years ago, he hunted down one of these wagons. Cool. He took the time to find one that wasn't grayscale. He says it wasn't, wasn't easy, <laughs> but he found a red one in Salt Lake City. Oh, that's cool. He eventually was going to, well, he was going to drive it home with a friend to South Carolina, but then their schedules didn't line. So he had it shipped. 
but he was expecting the worst when it showed up. You know, uh, rust, that, that mechanical is, issues, a tattered interior. That is the interior. worst, Alexander. You, when you pull something off a transport and you have not actually seen it in person, this is what we've done with cheap sports cars, cheap sedans, etc. Which just kind of that hold your breath moment of we'll see. Well, it's hard because you know the things that you want to look for, yeah. and it's hard to get other people in that headspace because Completely. everybody has a different thing that they look mm-hmm. for in their car, and one thing that matters to them doesn't matter to you, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Well, he did get a rust-free and very hmm. well taken care of car for thirteen fifty. That's one thousand three hundred fifty dollars. Only needed a battery and a radiator. And it came from Salt Lake and was rust-free, and it was a car from the eighties. This is a find, what? man. Well, he also says it gets more attention than the S two thousand when he's driving it because nobody knows what it is. You're like, what? That I haven't seen one of those in forever. So it's totally nostalgia. Well, he's also owned a 1985 GTI, the Mark II generation, that he bought with a friend. His friend still owns it. A $550 86 BMW 524 turbo diesel he bought for a sub $1,000 car challenge. <laughs> I like that you guys are doing friends. car challenges. That's fantastic. When you can do it with friends. That's wonderful, yes. I love that everybody's mm-hmm. throwing in. He says it was super rusty. The engine blew up within six weeks of buying it. Perfect. He got a $550 Lexus LS400 from 1995 that replaced that BMW for the challenge. Mm. It only needed a deep cleaning and a $15 coolant sensor, even with 275,000 miles. Mm. I mean, that I, I like those early LS400s because Lexus was a new car company then, mm-hmm. new division, mm-hmm. and they had to build something to play. They couldn't cut corners and they knew it. So massively over-engineered that they just run and run and run and run. Well, he says he also had a mechanically maligned Mercedes-Benz 300E from 1991. Wow. He bought that to fix up and then resell it, resell and bring a trailer. Did you resell it on bring a trailer? Because they're not accepting everything anymore. And, and did you make money? Those are my yeah, questions behind the know. scenes on that for sure. But he comes to the meat of his email here. He says he needs something fast. Okay. The S2000 and the Audi aren't going anywhere. He enjoys driving and owning both. Plus, they've got a lot of emotional value to him. I Totally see that. Your S2000 mm-hmm. was your first proper car for sports car and your grandfather's legacy with Audi. That's fantastic. Sure, yeah. But he recently started a new job that requires him to drive 50 miles round trip each day over what must be the bumpiest and roughest highway in South Carolina. Mm. He says it's mostly bridges and elevated highways. So I'm sure you're dealing with tar snakes and expansion joints and probably frost yeah. heaves and all that yeah, stuff. For sure. He says the S2000 is uncomfortable over all the bumps. <laughs> Yes. The Audi has no AC because R12 from the 80s, and then you have to upgrade your AC system to a new receiver and dryer, I think. This and sounds like something Paul has some experience <clears throat> with. Hold, yeah. Hang on. <laughs> hold this space. Anyway. Well, he says it needs a little more bulletproofing to be the daily right now. But that got him thinking. His 240-horsepower S2000 is the fastest and the quickest car he's ever owned, mm. while the 260-horsepower Lexus is the most powerful at 260. Mm-hmm. What he wants is something with some serious power that also has space, is comfortable over that rough highway, mm-hmm. and it's just a nice place to be, like a GT car. Yeah, yeah. He's getting a larger dog soon, and he doesn't want to use the, either of his two cars to transport sure. the dog, of course, unless it's an emergency. So he gives us requirements here. No convertibles, no two-seaters, no SUVs. It's got to be a sedan or a large four-seat coupe only. Mm-hmm. And his budget is low. It's at 10000 for this car. So Paul Limiter of $99.99.99. i am going to do my very best to respect this. And I think okay. I've got some good choices for you. I've got a pretty interesting wild card, but they're very tough to find. Mm-hmm. Among the cars he's considered, an 03 to 06 Mercedes S55 AMG. This is at the top of his That's list. That's cool. Those, those are, so, are those really, are cool. really cool. They're comfortable, proven to be decently reliable, as I found with the SLK, the 06 SLK. 
And with a 500 horsepower supercharged V8, he says they're fast. He sees few downsides to this car other than the outdated tech, but he says, who cares? That's not important to him. He's also looked at the Lexus SC400 because he knows that engine already. He knows it'll be comfortable, reliable. He's not sure if it's fast enough or if he can find one for Mm $10,000. He also said, Alexander, you took my first choice because I've always dug those 01 to 03 Audi S8s. I knew you'd think of it. I did too. And then here it is. Yeah. He doesn't want a second Audi right now. Understandable. understandable. He says they're not as fast for for the same money as the S55. People have told him to look in the Pontiac GTO, which Mm -hmm. we agree with. Mm Mm-hmm. This is fast enough. It will be reliable. But again, now that you're looking at GTOs and they're kind of starting to go back up, automatics used to be in the eight to twelve, eight to fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollar range. Manuals were slightly more, but I haven't actually checked GTOs. I love that option for you. Maybe look around Florida. There might be some nice ones just kind of sitting around. <laughs> they might not be nice, but they seems like everything <laughs> okay, is available nice. for cheap in Florida when it comes to used cars. This next sentence makes me read between the lines here about V8 engines because Mm -hmm. he's looked at the Volvo S80 with that Yamaha V8. Mm -hmm. The car he drove in high school was the XC90 with the same engine. He says it's a great engine. And if it's anything like the XC90, even simple fixes, well, you kind of require removing the engine, but he loves that charismatic engine. He can do his own maintenance. Fuel economy isn't a high priority. And the older, the better, especially over 25 years old for insurance Mm. costs. So nothing super new. But he doesn't really have a preference for a specific brand, and he's fine with an automatic as long as it's just not awful. Okay. This car also doesn't need to be super reliable since the Honda always works. Mm. But he doesn't want something that's just going to break and sit, and then he's going to have to dump money into it. He's got the Audi for that. (laughs) That's nice. Very good. I like that. So part of him is asking for permission to buy the S55, but what else is he missing and what should he consider for this debate? Mm. And it's all about V8s because you said large four seat coupes or large sedans. Yeah. And you also said you differentiated it already. You said fast. I want fast, Mm -hmm. not quick. You already have a quick, nimble, Mm -hmm. lightweight car. True, true. Yeah, yeah. You don't need quick. You want fast, which Alexander is a GT car, or like you said, a large sedan. But I think it's got to have a V8 because at the high cruising speeds, you know, you want that sustain. It's it's really about what that car does at speed and Mm -hmm. how it handles itself. Mustangs, Camaros, yes, I get it. The GTO, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. good. But those V8s just move the car. Even at a low power number, like you found with a Lexus, it just moves. Mm-hmm. So I did go shopping for anything V8 related in the good sedan category. Good for you. Because you've got a sports car and you've got a wagon and you don't have a sedan. That's true. It's very good. Now, I started off, Alexander, with Jaguar. Okay. XJ8. Or the XJR. This mm. was the car that I'd actually considered for our big sedan challenge. Yeah, we had thrown yeah. out a bunch of ideas before Todd settled on the fate and I had the Quattroporte. I do kind of miss it, actually. <laughs> I got a little sweet spot for Maserati now. It is, it is bizarre how that's the case, for sure. Don't get a Maserati, Alexander. Don't, don't. don't do that. Save yourself. But the Jag, reliable is a, is a strong word here. That's <laughs> coming in hot. But nevertheless, reliable is a strong word. <laughs> I think you should go look at XJ8s. Okay. Because they still look like money. They look great. They've they just aged really, really they well. Have. Yeah. They're just a classic. Wow. How mm-hmm. much do you spend on that? If you can find one under 10K, you're doing really well. Mm-hmm. I wanted that supercharged XJR. Yeah, which. Yeah, they might not be ten grand. They were on the they were on the edge of our budget when we were shopping for cheap sedans. I'm sure they've gone up since, but they are old, 
and they don't have a good reliability reputation, which keeps the price back down. So it's this weird scales thing. <laughs> Go look at reliable Go look sort of like uh, strong. But then I'm I, coming I would, from a Quattroporte. Exactly. So. It is officially relative. And I have a Phaeton. So as a it's result, a, it's, it's, it's a Honda in comparison. It's all relative. You said Mercedes, and I do like that S55 for mm-hmm. you, but that's the hot one. If you go back even more, how about the Mercedes E420 or E430 or the E500, that generation from 1996 to 02, it had the quad headlights. Mm-hmm. It's the W210 generation. I had a friend who had one for a long time, and he drove it everywhere, and it was just fast and built so well, and it was very very chunky Mercedes-like. It was that sure. old-school Mercedes, leftover from the 80s kind of Mercedes feel. Mm-hmm. After that is the decade that I didn't, you know, starting in the aughts is the decade that I didn't like Mercedes. Well, I guess I do again, just because the SLK treated me so well. <laughs> so look at those. I also thought of the late 97 series or the 5 series from BMW, that 540i mm-hmm. seems to be this underdog sitting over here. It doesn't sound like it has a lot of power. 282 horsepower from that V8, mm. but it moves the car well. Sure. It doesn't matter the number. It matters how the car performs under mm-hmm. acceleration and just how it carries itself through traffic. Okay, I thought of an outlier before I tell you my wild card. The outlier is that Hyundai Genesis from 2008. Oh, the back, early one. The early one. Back when Genesis sure. was not as its own brand, it was still mm-hmm. under Hyundai, and they came out with the sedan. So they had the coupe and the sedan, and yep. then they reinvented themselves. And That's good. To That's their good. great success, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that had a 5.0 V8 in it. Now, That's right. they're above 10,000. Almost every one I found is yeah. the 3.8 liter V6, same thing in the Genesis coupe, but then sometimes a 5.0 comes along and it, you might be able to get under 10. But the car, Alexander, that I oh. want you to chase, at least consider it. This, you don't see these at all. 2002 to 2004, Infinity M. I wondered about that. I'm so <laughs> glad you went there. I didn't actually fully go there. I was like, isn't there an Infinity that would work? Here? That's great. Keep going. It's also called the Nissan Gloria. Uh-huh. had a 4.5 liter V8 with 340 horsepower. You do not see these. You don't see them. And if I remember correctly, they sounded good too. If I remember yeah, right. Yeah. The sound coming out of really that cool. style, that look of a car, it, it didn't match. It was the ultimate underdog car. It Nobody really thought, saw that thing coming. Yeah. And they haven't been in the news. People are not talking about them. I think few people have seen them or even know it exists. But if you can find one, you're going to have to look very hard. Mm-hmm. If you can find one, you'll have this very unique thing. And it's my understanding that, that uh, Nissan also used that engine in the V8 GTR version. They put a flat plate crank in it and modified that particular engine to run in a race series. I cannot tell you that I know about reliability with that. On the other hand, it came from Nissan. At least that's a step in the right direction, right? But the Infiniti M, I can't say it's pretty. I can't say the interior is gorgeous and engaging, but on the other hand, if you can find one under 10, you will have a V8 large sedan. Hmm. They're rare. Nobody will know what that is. I guarantee you. No- like, what is that? <laughs> Let me tell you a little story. Yeah, check this That's thing good. out. That's good. Well done. That's a great one. I, 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 my, it's like my brain was kind of near the idea and never really <laughs> landed. floating so I, around. I applaud you for finding that for sure. That's great. I have a couple for you to consider here, Alexander, because I, I do think you've gone through a lot of the usual suspects here. I want to throw out a couple others. Again, that S55 is interesting. I, you're a 23-year-old guy coming out of S55. It's a little bit of an oddball connection there, but it's it's <laughs> right. still very cool. Absolutely. Right. I don't know what the maintenance is going to be like on that. Let's be honest, as we found with our cheap, uh, cheap quote in massive air quotes, old sedans, when you buy a formerly $100,000 car and something goes wrong, 
you're fixing a $100,000 car. You may have gotten it for five, but the repair bills, they, they reflect the original MSRP. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. You did get for five. I did. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so so, that so keep car. that in mind. You're buying an S55 AMG and it's cool and powerful. And what's the tech going on? And what if something goes wrong? That's my question there, which I do think makes pretty much everything on the table. So I'm going to say one you didn't mention that is not, look, it's not as big as the S55 as far as power is concerned, but you can get those uh, late 2000s, maybe even 2010, five series BMWs that are not the M5, the yeah. 550s. So you're going V8. a decade after the, like the 98 one, I was thinking that 540i from yeah. 1998. I'm jumping later. So I'm jumping into forward. the 2000s, okay. right. Okay. So it's, it's, it's the same gen as got that crazy V10 in the M5, yeah. but it's the V8 below it are those under 10 you can find them that, are, can you it's, it's one really? of those where they're on either side some people are like oh, mine's worth 20 and some people are like mine's worth seven so where where do you land you know what i mean mileage condition totally all that so usual stuff but there is a v8 in that that's it's right around 400 horsepower i think it's not look it's not a throwdown. it's not like your s55 supercharged i get that but this gives you an interesting option and i think um it probably would have a little more, a little more of a dyna- dynamic driving feel than that S class will, but still, I mean, the S class is very cool. The other one that you have jumped over, you you walked around it, in fact, because you talked about the GTO. You didn't talk about the Pontiac G8. You get that's the good. GT of that's that. Good. That's yeah. a that's a Chevy V8 and a four door. I actually think that the in, the exterior and interior of the G8 have aged better than they did on the GTO. Mm. It's a lot of the same stuff underneath there, okay? But sure. the, the GTO sure. just, it, it, has, it has the Chevy SS problem, which, of course, was after the G8. It, it, it's not as compelling and aggressive as it should. The GTO was never quite there. I think the G8 is a, is a worthwhile option. Now, there is also a V6 version, and if I remember correctly, the V6 version is around 300 horsepower. So that's still more than you've had so far, Alexander. Mm-hmm, but if mm-hmm. you can find the GT, which is the V8, in your price, um, you'll probably be in an automatic that'll be fine because sure, the, the, sure. the stick shifts are going for more. But I think they're right at the edge of your price. That's another one of those cars where, because they aren't being made anymore, people are like, well, mine's worth 25 No, it's not. But you, you have to find the one where somebody <laughs> has actually posted it, something around your price. Please, somebody they, don't buy it and confirm what exactly they Exactly right. Don't tell him that his car really is worth that because it's not. Exactly. Anyway, but no, the Pontiac G8, I think, is one you've overlooked, and I think that's one you should consider. Alexander, you've got a lot to consider here. Hopefully some of this resonates with you. We'll be curious to hear what you've got. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com for all your car debates. Also your topic Tuesdays and calling for your car conclusions too. We're going to transition just a little bit into a car that's just been recently revealed. Mm-hmm. Subaru WRX. The 2022 model has now launched. Yes, the new one's been revealed. Yep. Sitting here looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I do want to do a design review, but I don't want to just push some pixels around and change the proportions just a little bit. I want to get rid of some elements. <laughs> a lot of elements. I like how you just kind of eased your way into the pool there. I just want to get rid of some elements. <laughs> Blake Slate. No, I'm sorry. It yeah. is a new chassis, though. It's a new chassis, but the proportions appear to be the same. Agreed. Agreed. So we're still yeah. dealing with yeah, yeah. roughly the same size shapes. Mm-hmm. They tackled it like BMW does. Okay. Things got a little crispier. Their signature elements like that you know, the intakes, the grill, the headlights, all those kinds of things. Those elements just got crisper, sharper. Yeah. Things got more defined. Isn't it funny how the cycles of car design, they come around, you know, 20 years ago, we're doing soft forms punctuated by some line. Yeah. Now this is very 
clean, crisp, mm. hard-edged, and very thin surfaces. And by that, I mean they're not full. They're not full of mass and muscle and form. Mm. They're just flat-ish. They're just very thin, okay, not sure, a lot of sure, sure. meat on those surfaces. So therefore, you're looking at lines, mm-hmm. not the fullness of the shapes like Mercedes is doing right now. Okay? okay. So pull up a picture of the Lamborghini Urus right yes. beside the WRX. And you will notice that the wheel arch openings huh. are almost dead on to an Urus. They're nearly the same. Slight proportion changes, but those shapes are so busy, they dominate everything about the WRX, this You're new right. design. You're absolutely right. Yeah. On the other hand, that's good. Because in off-roading, the wheel arches suggest what the car is capable of doing. Sure, okay. All it right. is all about the wheel arches. And I do like that Subaru emphasize those unfortunately I keep having to look at this white version here i want to look at a different color I'm, I'm on the subaru site and a lamborghini thing at the same time and i look at the wheel arches the the similarity between these two pictures i'm showing you right now paul i can't believe how right you are even it's the rear shockingly door. similar look at the rear door on the urus mm-hmm. and that yeah. sheet metal look how it defines the rear fender arch there's and a, it's more subtle on the wrx but it's there there's a fender flare through it it Wow, and they even released it in an orange that is a major orange color. That I am, yes. I am bowing to you for recognizing that. <laughs> I did not. No part of me saw that connection, and you are absolutely right. Well, all I saw was the wheel arch openings, and I just mm-hmm. thought, where have I seen those? Because every designer is looking at everything else. Mm-hmm. Everybody is doing. They're all consuming the same kind of content. We're all consuming. Mm-hmm. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking for lines. They're yeah, looking for yeah. little things that draw their eye, and whether or not. You like the Urus or not, that is a defining feature of it. Mm-hmm. And that is a defining feature of Lamborghinis in general. Mm. You see those wheel arches and you think, wow, what a crazy shape. What's going on there? Yeah. Let's go back to the original Countach, that mm-hmm. original uh, wheel arch opening, the, mm-hmm. the rear wheel arch yeah, opening. Yeah. Such an interesting, Weird, crazy. asymmetrical shape, yeah. This is, I think, what Subaru is picking up on to define off-roading. Still says on-road, but a little bit of off-road. It's almost like a, a smallish Urus <laughs> with these inspired surfaces because the Lamborghini it's has a Ur-ish little bit ish. fuller. Ur- Urus, Urus-ish. <laughs> Urus-ish. I don't even know how to yeah. spell it, but we're going to figure it out. The, the Lamborghini surfaces have a little bit more full flavor to them. They're a little bit more meat Absolutely. in those surfaces. Absolutely, yes. It's a larger thing across the board. Yeah. It's got more power under there to suggest and go along with, okay, this thing's got a lot of power. I see the Lamborghini badge. Great. Mm-hmm. But this Subaru is so intriguing to me because it's directly going after what Lamborghini has defined itself. They're almost stuck in that style guide. Mm. Like just like uh, Subaru is doing here. They're taking cues from almost every other car manufacturer, just like every other car company does too. But the ones who put it together most successfully to still say this is on brand, it's on target for the price point. Mm. Those are the cars that are successful. Look at those taillights. Mm. Those suggest new 86 to my eye. Uh, yeah. Very close. Oh, yeah. Very similar. They're probably they may even be the same part. Yeah, <laughs> they, they look very, very similar. Yeah, they actually. Now that you mention it, they could be the same. It's part. It's probably the exact same part. Holy cow! Yep, that does look like that. Everything else is down low. Usually, sedans have all of their defining stylistic features up high mm. on the shoulder of the car, maybe along the side. There's some sort of crisp, interesting shape. Where Subaru is defining this by relating the car to the ground. It's all about the wheel arches and mm-hmm. the rockers and the, the front apron, the intakes and that rear apron back there, the, the rear clip. Mm-hmm. That is telling our eye that this car wants to be off-road. 
that's what Subaru has done. And to be honest, I like that they've pushed it that way. I just can't decide if I like it. I haven't seen it in person or not. We haven't seen it in person. I have to, I have to jump on the thing that the internet is talking about and bring up a couple of points. And that is the, um, the plastic body cladding on the wheel arches. Yeah. Subaru has discovered this of late. I don't know if you've noticed this because, because I realize that the uh, Subaru Outback is ubiquitous and we talk about it a lot on this, this uh, podcast because we can't get away from it. But there have been subtle changes to the Outback over the last four or five years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It used to not have body cladded fenders. Now it does. They have put body cladding on the Outback fenders and they've smoked the lenses and they've turned it into, I, I will fully admit this, the current Outback is available in a spec that actually genuinely looks rugged and interesting. Mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. essentially the same car they've been making for the better part of a decade. They have seen, I think, that these rubberized fenders look interesting on the Outback and they've gone, that should be on the WRX. And the thinking is, sure, I know the sure. thinking is because that says rally heritage, but I'm going to come does. to a screeching yeah. halt here real quick and say, look up Subaru rally cars, the famous ones, the mm -hmm. blue ones with the big, the, we're all picturing it in our head right now. Sure. Look them up. They have metal fenders, folks. Yeah. They, they, they all have full metal fenders. I do yeah. not believe the marketing commentary here that this makes it rally connected. No, it does not. This is connected to whoever your part supplier is that is spitting <laughs> out rubberized fenders for the Outback. That's working for us. Let's do that. It I don't be. think it helps the car. I don't think it makes it more rally. I Because I actually like that they've gone... It's a slightly larger, 2.4 liter engine. Mm -hmm. The specs are, are similar on power. It's going to be super, which means it's going to run and run and run. And people are going to do everything with them. And they're going to have lifestyle vehicles all around them. But I, mm, I want those fenders to not look like something Pontiac thought up in the 2000s. There, I said it. I hear you. Those fenders and the, the front and rear clips by being all blacked out mm -hmm. gives them the opportunity to trick your eye. That's mm -hmm. what car designers mm -hmm. do. Just like in the Mach-E, it reduces the proportional height and the proportional scale of everything else. And looking at the car in white and black, so it's the white paint with yeah. everything yeah, else yeah. blacked out, you can see the proportions of everything and it allows them to make a bigger car and still reduce the visual look of it. Sure. So sure. it's essentially a trick. Yeah. And you're right, those fenders... I can't confirm this, but they could be part sharing or even if, you know, one or two of those parts could be shared with other vehicles. That's just smart business. Yeah. That's how it works. Those taillights. Sure. But they're obsessed with body but, cladding right now, seriously. And, and that was what? something that, that, like I said, Pontiac went through that phase. They, they got over did. it. Yeah, they did. Volvo's gone through the phase. Audi has. <laughs> let's, let's clad everything. And then 10 years later, you go, we should stop that. I think it dates it though mm. in a strange mm -hmm. way. And it dates it. It's a fresh look for them, but it's not a new look as yeah. identified by yeah. other cars you've suggested, Pontiac, you know, mm -hmm. long time ago, and the cross-country versions or the all-road versions from Audi and Volvo. It's fresh now. I'm just wondering how fresh will it be in three or five years? I, I am actually genuinely excited to drive this car. I, I'm, I think it looks really great. I don't understand those cladded fenders. That's the place where they just lose me. And I don't buy that it's a connection to rally in history. Yeah. I don't buy that at all. Yeah, agreed. We also recently had a 2022 Lexus ES300H. The reason this car is unique mm -hmm. is because it was the first time that Lexus has ever applied the F-Sport thinking to a hybrid mm -hmm. and they sent it to us and we drove it. You know how we've said on the podcast that we usually like the hybrid versions mm -hmm. of a lot of Toyota's products. Yeah, for sure. This was no different. I actually kind of liked it. Mm. 
it wasn't that it was just a hybrid. It was that when you really romped on it and booted mm-hmm. it, it seemed to scamper because of the F sport underpinnings, because they were thinking about that. I'm not saying I want to go buy a 300 H F sport as a cruise mobile. And then it still kind of got with it. It didn't just sit there sluggishly. It was excellent for the highway. Very quiet, very refined, lovely to be in. This is the thing about the ES with this package hybrid F sport. It's essentially the same kind of thinking that you end up with. that makes you end up with the Camry TRD. Mm -hmm. Does Mm -hmm. this need to exist? Is there really a buyer for this? supposedly there is the problem with the current Lexus ES right now is it is front wheel drive based and it has one engine and it's not a powerful engine. Now in hybrid form, it feels better. It feels better because there's the, the, the feel, feel of the hybrid, but it gets into what we like about Volvo. They, they just have one yes. engine too, but they yes. do things with it. But, the, but this is not a very powerful engine and it's the only thing available in the ES mm-hmm. and then it's front wheel drive. This is, there's two ways to look at this. This is on one level, the best driving Lexus ES I've ever driven. Having said that, I think the ES is the worst driving car Lexus makes. Fair enough. So we're in a really weird category here that to me is in that same exact place as that Camry TRD where this is the car I'm going to buy. In this case, the ES. I like hybrid. Oh, you make it in an F Sport. Ooh, so it's a little bit more sporty? I can say it's sporty. You didn't buy a sporty car. It's a weird place for all of these badges to be. I say that and then say to all of everything you said, it was perfectly fine to drive. It right. drove well on the highway. Right. It was a Lexus. It was all these kind of things. It was by far the most dynamic ES. I just The ES is an uninteresting product from Lexus, and this still has the old interface. That's my next so thought. in yeah. spite of the fact that you had, look at us, we did we did the H, the hybrid with the F Sport. Isn't that an interesting combo? Yeah, as we as you just said with Volvo, Volvo throws everything at their car, and it somehow ends up really, really cool. So I'm glad Lexus thought to put all this stuff together. I just thought that the platform they're showcasing on with the ES is a platform that's kind of like, yeah, you're right. And the only time I thought that it really got dynamically interesting was when you're cruising on the highway and you need to get around a truck or you need to get you know in the fast lane and kind of get after it. Only 215 horsepower, but it didn't, it didn't move the car like that number would suggest. That's, it did feel that better. number suggests ugh, this thing it, can't it, get out of its own yeah, way. Yeah, weight is what it suggests. Yeah, but that hybrid electric motor actually moved the car well. So for road tripping, you're a commuter. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice, but as you said, the problem is that interface. The new interface from Lexus can't come soon enough. Yeah, and here Lexus is dicing their product lineup so thinly into other weird niches. It's like, uh, well, we got the hybrid already. Just you don't have to make it F-Sport. Just make all this goodness with the adaptive suspension inherent in the car to begin with. Mm, mm. I, I don't need the hot-rotted version of my hybrid <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> well, that, that's, and that's a weird niche in a lot of these cars is we have hybrid, which says I'm not an enthusiast, mixed with F-Sport, which says I am. The result is I think you're kind of confused. Yeah. I wish this had the adaptive suspe- suspension, but it did not. It just had that 16-valve inline four. The uh, the ECVT and oh. all the things that suggest it wouldn't be great, but I didn't come away hating it. No, that's the thing. It, it's it's a success as a car. It works fine for what it is. I just I don't understand this showcase and I, I the ES and I say this also because my mother in law has owned a line of Lexus Lexi. Okay, she had an ES. She had two ESs in a row, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they are Blandsville, yeah, and so is the yeah. current one. Of course, she saw it and was like, "What is that?" 
Of course she did. It's like she's got Lexus ES radar. Ping, 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 ping. You know, so anyway. But, <laughs> you but roll it's, up in that thing. It's fine. It, yeah, it, it's fine. There's nothing but success going on there. It's just the least interesting thing they make. I would say at the top of the list is the fuel economy. Combined, it gets 44. 43 in the city, 44 on the highway. So combined, it's about 44 miles yeah, per great. gallon. So if you are a commuter and you don't mind the interface and you can deal with everything and you like how it drives, it's a worthy suggestion just because of fuel economy alone. It is car wash season. Always wash your car in a cool, shady spot and always use the brilliant finished foaming sprayer or the Boss Foam Cannon from Griot's Garage. You can create a high foam blizzard party right in your driveway with little to no work and avoid the wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. And don't forget, Griot's also has full ceramic family of products, including Speed Shine, Wash and Coat, and a 3-in-1 Wax. Rio's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all the liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order just for our audience. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Alicia is writing in as a fledgling car girl, she defines herself. She's, uh, she's connecting up with some of the podcasts we've talked about other women that have written in that have discovered cars. She says, that's me. She learned to drive on a 2002 Toyota Camry. She called it the golden chariot. Fantastic. <laughs> We're all picturing the color of that car right now, aren't we? <laughs> and she inherited it when she went to college and continued to drive it from 2007 to March of 2021. She has just gotten rid of that car and upgraded to a 2019 Mazda three hatchback, which she loves to drive and loves to look at and can't imagine driving anything else as a better kind of daily car for her. And she is hooked. We're thrilled to hear that, Felicia. Thanks for writing. She is in the process of selecting her new car because she's watched countless hours of YouTube and she has now been infected with the car disease. We are your car people for sure. She decided to learn to drive stick shift. Love it. So she bought a 2003 Corolla with a five-speed manual from a guy who got it from his pastor so he could teach his son. <laughs> but then she says, in the end, the son wasn't into driving the manual. So she's been driving on evenings and on weekends, and she's just about mastered the technique even in Atlanta traffic. Good for you. Felicia, fantastic. She's also learned to do basic maintenance and hunt around the junkyard for cheap parts. <laughs> and she loves it. I love that. That's amazing. Now she's planning to sell the Corolla and thinking about what comes next. It sounds like the Mazda stays. Mm, oh, for sure. It definitely does. Yeah. But she's interested in a track experience. Mm. She plans to do a ride along in the near future to get her feet wet. But beyond that, she doesn't know where to start. Mm. Should she attempt to track her Mazda? Should she rent a car at the track? She's hoping she wins one of the cheap sports cars, but that oh, is behind us at this point. That has happened. Yeah. But she says, if I decide to adopt this hobby, she's watched our cheap sports car film but she doesn't have 10,000 or seven or five. The Corolla was only two grand. Mm -hmm. Now that is a great way to learn stick shift. By the way, my brother-in-law bought a saw for 1500 to learn stick shift. Well, for yeah. the kids. And then he bought another one. And then he's got another obsessed. one. So yeah. he's mm -hmm. into sob land, but I love it. He's found his car and mm -hmm. found his car people. I don't think you track the Corolla. I do think you get rid of it because you're going to be throwing good money after low money and the Corolla because as soon yeah, as you track yeah. the Corolla, you'll find all of its shortcomings, which mm -hmm. are many, and you're going to want to throw money at it to Don't fix do those shortcomings. Don't do that, yeah. I love, Felicia, the ride-along. 
I hope mm-hmm. by this time you have had the ride along, you've got a new perspective on mm-hmm. things and you've come across or, or come away with already some things that you like and dislike or kind of, you know, start gravitating towards. Yeah, yeah. But start talking to those people at the track or on track driving forums or, you know, anybody who's done track events, you know, we love SCCA, we love NASA, mm-hmm. you know, we've done all kinds of events through, uh, through both of those, uh, sanctioning bodies, but tell the people that you meet at the track, your situation, like you've told us, mm-hmm. I do think you should do an HPDE with your Mazda. I do Hmm. think you should get your only car out there to experience the feeling of what if I break my only car? This is my only car, but I don't think you're going to be driving it hard enough or fast enough to really do anything to it. I think you're just going to put a little bit of extra wear in the tires and brakes. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Mm -hmm. But that will tell you and reveal more about your Mazda. I know you already love mm-hmm. it, but I think that will reveal more about it and that will make you a better driver in that car on the street as well. But that will reveal more about what you're looking for. I want you also to experience a variety of car architecture and drivetrain experiences. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you need to take a driving school. So start saving your money to do a driving school, either the one or two day. Sometimes, depending on the school, they have four day. Those get very expensive. Very expensive. But you need to come in with some kind of technique. You need to understand mm-hmm. fundamentals of track in apexing track out on your, on each corner. What are those things? But ask about at your local track. Uh Oh, is anybody running a lemons team? That's excellent. Hey, anybody into lemons? Mm-hmm. Maybe if you started hanging around the people who are wrenching on their own lemons car, mm. you could see if your sweat equity will buy you a place on the team. That, well, but here's the thing. A lot of those teams, not only do they want you to work with them, but also just the fact that if, if you pay your own way and you put your money into the general pot for the car, they're looking for other drivers. They are. We yeah. have, I love this tangent, by the way, because we bumped into this conversation recently with a podcast we're on with Grouch Heroes in Training talking about starting in Lemons. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things we were all talking about is just the fact that one of my favorite things, we first did Lemons the very first year in that <laughs> Subaru wagon, <laughs> is we met people who it was their first day at a track. They'd never been to a track It boggles before. the mind, but and it's they happening. Were, they were zipping up the race suit, putting on a helmet, and going out there to drive. I mean, that is, is, exactly that is learn by lemons. doing, also fail by doing. But, <laughs> fail anyway, by doing yeah. but that's exactly what that race series was mm-hmm. created to do great. by people who founded it, thinking, how do I get into racing at the lowest cost? Now, there is cost involved because- yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you might throw a whole bunch of money into doing stuff to your race car. You get it for cheap, but then you, you know, pitching That's in the for nature cost. of lemons. But yep. You said you're already cruising around junkyards. Amazing. Which is lemons territory. Absolutely. Yeah. You're already doing some maintenance, which is lemons territory. You just need to be with somebody who kind of knows what they're doing mm. and knows what they want to accomplish with a particular car. doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. But when you come away from your race school, whatever you decide on, knowing that you've got some fundamentals of techniques, great. Mm-hmm. And now you've kind of get gotten in with a lemons team, maybe somewhere. Now you, you're getting out there on track and just being out there and learning and talking to people is such a great thing. But asks about, you could go further once you've done lemons mm-hmm. and you just for the future, you could ask about sharing costs to run someone else's car and have that hard conversation about what would happen if you had an off or you broke their car. Ooh, yeah. And by that, I mean some separate away from lemons, just another track day that you happen to be at and you wanted to partner with somebody if they'd allow it. But I believe you'll be surprised at the amount of people willing to share mm. that have this interesting, cool car. It's fast or not fast, or it's a Miata or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just so excited. And if you showed interest, they would 
actually love to teach you to drive their car, mm. but then they start to see you as maybe sharing some costs there, which could help them. And they would invite you along to drive the car and kind of work it out with them. I think there's more people than not that would be kind of like, eh, I'd let you drive it. You know, let's talk about the ground yeah, rules here yeah, yeah. and everybody's different. But if they've got some little track focused car, I think people are kind of willing to share. They want to share this excitement, what you've experienced, Felicia. That's cool. Felicia, this is great stuff. I like it a lot. I want to give you a couple of things to ponder that are, are, are a step kind of before where Paul is, but I like a lot of what Paul's saying. The limits thing is a great idea for you. I think that's amazing. But let's talk about the two cars you have right now. You have that beat down Corolla you don't care about, but it's amazing because it cost you nothing and it taught you how to drive stick shift. Perfect. You have your Mazda 3 that you love and it is your daily and it is your baby. So I'm going to ease in here. On the off chance that you're terrified of taking your Mazda 3 to the track, before you sell your Corolla, and you need to, before you sell your Corolla, I want you to go do autocross in both of your cars. Oh, for comparison's sake, right? Also, just to see what happens at an mm. autocross. An autocross, mm. you're going to do 60 miles an hour if you're lucky. Uh, you're just not going to go fast, but there's going to be a lot of movement behind the wheel and a lot of, I didn't know my car could do this. And the great thing about autocross is because you're cycling through, this is one of the things I don't like when I go personally, but it's perfect for your situation because you're cycling through. It's hard to steal anybody's time because they're waiting until they're in a car again and they're going to keep waiting until the line comes back up so you can get your next round. So find somebody else in the line that will let you ride with them. Mm, yeah. And then if you trust that person, see, see who's doing well, who, right. who seems to be just, they're killing it out there. Right. Can yeah. you ride with them? And then will they ride with you? They'll be so full of information and want yes. to help yes. people out there at the track. Want to help because everybody get better. You're learning to drive manual transmission, but I don't know how much you've driven a manual transmission in anger. And that's autocross. <laughs> yes, you're going to be hammering the gears along. You're going to yes. get things wrong. You're going to shift at the wrong moment. And all of a sudden it's just not working out. But you know what the worst thing is that can happen? You run over some cones. Oops. <laughs> cone gets stuck in your you're way offline. Now the people that are having to put the cones back up, they're frustrated, but they're cones. This is why yeah. we're doing autocross. Yeah. So go autocross your Corolla. If you're curious about how capable that Mazda three hatchback is, autocross that thing and shock yourself. If you haven't even been to a track, you're going to see that's going to change the way you commute in that car. If you did a day of autocross, you're gonna be like, I can, I didn't know I could do this. I think what's in your future is a cheap, dedicated sports car. Okay. But I don't know when that budget's going to be available. I think you can go shopping, take five, six grand and go shopping for the unloves, the MR2s. Granted, I've talked about it a lot. They might go up. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> the, uh, the solstice Pontiac solstice, and the sky, those things, uh, the turbos are cheap, let alone the, the other The ones. turbos are cheap, but the, the base models the without base the turbos models are is what you really want. Go, yeah. go get that. Yeah. So chase one of those. Uh, get, get one of the – look, there is always the random used Miata. No, not on the major sites. You're going to have to dig down into the local Craigslist, but you can find somebody's used Miata. I'll go you one further. Mm. People's track prep Miatas – those typically aren't worth very much. Now, that's not where you are yet. You're, that's kind of depends. Beyond, if they've dumped money into parts, people are kind of – Wanting to get their money back out. I but people think. also get to that place where they're like, and the cheap Miata, and, and the spec Miata needs to go. That happens too. True. So you're, True. you're not there yet. I'm just thinking down the line long term. But I think, what's your, when can you have five grand? If you sell that Corolla and you get 1500 back out of it, two grand back out of it, can you put that into a car loan for five to seven grand and get yourself a cheap sports car? Mm. Maybe. I also think you're in Atlanta. We've been to Atlanta recently, and there were some really cool, fun back roads north of town. Yeah. 
Go yep. run those. Go run yep. those with a group, with friends, with a buddy that'll ride with you, whoever. Just drive, 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 drive in the non-commute way. And yes. You will revolutionize yes. yourself as understanding what, because this is the other thing that's going to happen. As you drive in these non-commute senses, you're going to figure out very easily, Felicia, what do I like the car to do? This is why sure. crossing both sure. your current cars will be so revelatory. Yeah. What do I want yeah. the car to feel like? Riding somebody else's really cool car and just be like, do I like this feeling or not? Or is it just a cool car? So I, I think the more you can drive, 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 do it. And then autocrossing might reveal, and I love, Paul, the fact that you recommended lemons. Felicia, find a lemons team. Find some lemons, buddies. And laugh your way through the weekend. Let's talk about Haggerty My Garage. It's a virtual home for automotive enthusiasts where you can show off your cars and tell their stories. Inside the community, you can check out thousands of cool cars and like, comment, follow, and share your favorites. Plus, you can park everything you need in one place. Use My Garage to manage your important details and photos and records and more. There's never been a better way to virtually enjoy your ride. So customize your own garage, explore others' garages. You can even see our garage and join in on the conversation at haggerty.com slash mygarage. Jumping over to social media questions. Thank you guys for posting up a lot of interesting ones. We've got one here from Jesus T that I don't think we've ever talked about. Uh Uh-oh. He asks, why don't we respect insignificant cars in traffic? For example, exiting his neighborhood, he looks both ways, and if there's a Prius coming, he goes. If the car coming is a Hellcat, he'll wait. He noticed he does this constantly. Mm. Just depends on the car coming. Mm -hmm. Well, I have waited for Prius. They've been driven pretty hot, and I've you know, seen minivans coming in hot or, you know, I'm like, I'm not pulling out in front of you. I'm yeah. to the point where I look at how the car is acting, the attitude of the car. Mm-hmm. Does it seem, mm-hmm. I give it a few seconds. And I'm already determining, all right, what is this driver trying to do? Are they coming in fast? Oh, I see they're turning without their turn signal. Okay, fine. But I agree, Jesus, if you have ever said, nah, I didn't pull out in front of that car because it was irrelevant about the make, you're lying. <laughs> You're right. It's a thing. I'll go one further. My wife, when she comes to four-way stops or roundabouts, and it's her and a Tesla, will always go because her headspace, and I have cautioned her on this, but her headspace is the Tesla is avoiding, she thinks about a Tesla as being autonomous. They're not, but she's like, the the, the autonomous car wants to avoid me. So she's like, if, if you and I come oh. up to a stop sign, I'm going. Your autonomous car is going to demure. That's, I mean, what, that's what she thinks. I've told her to be super sure. careful because it's not really how the system works, but it is very right. funny. I mean, plus Teslas and any electric cars with autonomous systems, I don't think they've figured out roundabouts too well yet. So that's usually a person driving through the roundabout at this point. Many of the people haven't figured out the roundabouts yet yeah, either. Right. That's happened. I, the number of right. times I pull up to a roundabout here, we actually have quite a few in our area. And the people in the roundabout are coming to a stop. At every junction, it's like, folks, this is not how this works, just so you know. The yield is not a stop. The Dylan Luke said, hey, he's thanking us for the cheap sports car piece. He's thoroughly enjoyed it, and he's just thanking us for making all of that content. Man, we have loved these cheap sports cars. They're on their way out. You probably heard last uh, last podcast, and we talked about the winners, and we're still very excited for those cars to get picked up. It was a very, very cool giveaway. I'm Thank you to all of you that were a part of it. We are excited about the next ones. We are like two weeks away from revealing the new ones. We actually shot, I'll go one further. We shot a piece today that will be the reveal piece coming Mm -hmm. in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Very, very excited about it. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm hoping the next round, which I will admit is not as cheap. It's just not. We didn't go cheap. We we went after a goal and we thought we wanted to spend legit money but not go crazy. So it's not like another $5,000 car thing. That's not happening. But we're very excited about what we're (laughs) going to cover for the next year. It's because of the maintenance going into the cars that makes it not cheap. They weren't that much. True. All the parts and 
sweat and tears. Alex says that I mentioned on a recent podcast that Porsche needs a lower price model to get more people involved with the brand. Mm. Do I think it's something along the lines of that Volkswagen Blue Sport concept from about a decade ago? This was what I believe and kind of looks like a small boxster looking shape based on the GTI. It's sort mm-hmm. of like Volkswagen does an Audi TT, a mm-hmm. little bit along those lines. But is this the answer or is some successor to a 924 or a 944 the answer? I still think it's mid-engine. I think Porsche got the the front engine sports cars out of their out of their system. Mm, I hate to say that, but I think they've left that firmly in the past, Mm. but I think it's more along the lines of a 550 spider or the, the original 718. Very, very cool. I mean, small and and it would, you know, a little bit bigger than that, but essentially a scaled down Cayman Mm -hmm. that is lighter Mm -hmm. weight. That is, you know, it doesn't have all the stuff and, and you can't order all the crazy stuff from Porsche that, you know, runs up the cost. They just don't offer it with that car. Sure. But it's more about a really focused driver's car and Mm. not that, Porsches aren't in general. But you know I know what you mean. mean. But, but it's entry level, paired focused. back. I said, it'd be awesome. I wish they'd do it. And just to do that range, because they've gotten you know, all the way out the high end, they're, of course, the status symbol kind of car, but they're just so big and fast and powerful and mm-hmm. they're amazing and they can do amazing things. But what about this other side of the spectrum that a company like Porsche could do? Mm-hmm. It's not easy for every car company to be able to pull that off. It's not like... You know, Volkswagen tried, but it was a concept, but Volkswagen's going, of course, all electric in that general, that general direction. But, you know, like a Toyota, maybe they're kind of doing it, but something that, that would differentiate Porsche so much to do a 550, just a little bit larger, between a 550 and a Cayman, somewhere in there, and just keep the price down and <laughs> be very cool. bring glorious driving dynamics back. Harvey asks on Facebook, he said, why don't automakers use programming to make all-wheel drive systems behave more rear-biased? He said the Golf R seems like a prime example for this. Harvey, what's going on here is the architecture underneath. Where is that? How is that all-wheel drive system working? Let me give you three different examples, okay? Porsche on their Cayenne. That is essentially a rear-biased, even their 911. That is a rear-biased system that engages the front axle. Okay, you go to Subaru, who was known for their symmetrical all-wheel drive. Put a Subaru. I've done this. Put a Subaru up on a lift and spin the back rear wheel and watch all four spin. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just they're all geared together. Okay, and and you can move it a little bit if you're in a, a Subaru WRX or an, an STI is the main place you can do it. You can actually make it more rear biased and blah blah. But it's designed primarily as an all the time all four spinning system. Now move to the all-wheel drive systems from Toyota. The all-wheel mm-hmm. drive systems from Volkswagen. The the common threads of a lot of these, and they're not the only ones, but those are the main ones to jump into here. The common thread in all of these is it is a front-wheel drive architecture, and it is engaging the rear half of the car when the system decides it's necessary. Right, okay? right. That's even true as far as the new Mazda 3 all-wheel drive, which we like quite a bit. Uh, Volvo's done this, and Volvo and some of their hybrids, we just drove the XC90, the, the rear axle was actually driven by an electric motor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a front-wheel drive SUV with a rear axle that's being driven by an electric motor. In order to make these things genuinely rear-biased, they have to have an architecture that lends to that. And most of them ultimately are front-wheel drive with, oh, gosh, there's slip. Let's involve <laughs> yeah. the back half. And as a result, that undermines the whole system. We've got a question. Well, two questions from two different Chris's. Chris Starr says, did I see Jason Camisa's recent Quattroporte piece, and am I ready for another one? <laughs> We love everything Jason does, honestly. He, he does, does great stuff, stuff yeah. great work, but I have not seen it. And no, I'm not ready for a Quattroporte, but the MC20 
intrigues the daylights out of me. I know it does, yeah. And I have this little tiny soft spot that's growing for Maserati. If they can get over that perception, that hump of, ah, not reliable, don't Mm -hmm. buy anything secondhand Maserati, if they can just get past that and suddenly, well, these guys... You know, kind of a contender, a new Italian option. Mm-hmm. You know, I could aspire to one in 10 years or 12 years or something. Sure. That gets interesting for me. Also, Chris M. was on some unfamiliar windy back roads. He was glancing at his navigation to see just how curvy the bends were. Mm. Is this good practice or bad practice? Chris, I think it's like having a, a little track map on a video game in the cor- right corner of your screen, in the bottom right mm-hmm. corner, it's like you just quickly glance over and you can kind of plan for what's coming at you. I've used it in the expedition mm-hmm. just to keep my speed, just to keep momentum because it just takes forever for that truck to get up to speed. I mm-hmm. looked over at the nav system and going, okay, we've got a nice long straight coming up. All right, so I can accelerate out of this and sure enough, there's the straightaway. Great. Well, think about the fact that your average professional race driver almost always has a track map tacked somewhere inside the car. Yeah. So if they're kind of to turn two and they forget where what's going on, which is unlikely, but they can be like turn two is uh, that's right. Quick oh, plans. that's right. I'm here. Yeah. That's right. Okay, got it. So having that reference is worthwhile. Just don't stare at that screen, please. Indeed. Jason Wood says, "Okay, what are we more sad about? The cheap sports cars going, or the Phaeton and Quattroporte going? Which is making us more sad?" <laughs> Jason, this is hard. Actually, I, I've been thinking about this since I looked at your question, and I'm. I'm not sure I have an answer, but here's what I'm thinking about. The cheap sports cars, I think I'm liking more than the sedans because that's more the kind of cars I like. That's my proclivity, okay? Mm -hmm. So I would think that that would make me more sad, except we already have our next round, and the, the overlap has been long enough that it has really softened the blow of those cheap sports cars going. And when the Phaeton went, <laughs> there was nothing of that kind to replace it. Interesting. And so as a result, I genuinely think I missed the Phaeton going more. I think I was sadder about really? that, even though this Z4 is going to be cool the day it leaves. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't mind seeing the Maserati go. <laughs> didn't mind <laughs> it was stress inducing you were so excited to head the keys over and to go home yeah, yeah. although i've had two kind of stressful cars these last two yeah, challenges here have, yeah I've just been very stressful just various things but i liked the slk and the z4 for their go-to nature mm-hmm. because we would always have some sort of you know you you or i both have whatever errands you've got yeah, you know, yeah, family yeah. stuff mm-hmm. you know i've got various errands you just step outside and you think all right what car am i oh I'll just jump in the SLK. It's the yeah. go-to car. Yeah, true. It's just easy. True, true. It's just sitting there. Let's just take that. And it just ran, which was so great. And so that's what I'm going to miss about it. But I am thoroughly schooled in Mercedes from the aughts. I'm yeah. thoroughly schooled thinking so it funny. would just not feel properly engineered. And it felt really good to me. Ryan Reyes says, is there a sequel coming to our old video, which was the original FRS, the RX-8, and the S2000? Ryan, I don't know that we're going to redo that, but here is our intention. Our intention is to get a GR86 as soon as possible so that we can have it on Season 10, and hopefully we will have an opportunity to put the GR86 with a lot of things. We think it it restarts a lot of very interesting comparison conversations, and so we're still thinking about all the things we'd like to do coverage-wise with it. But we've also been a little bit distracted. I'm sorry, I keep teasing it all, all this episode. We're quite distracted by the next round of long-term cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those have got to be balanced alongside. Can we get the 86 for a few comparisons? Because there's a few I definitely want to do. We'll wrap up on some wagon questions from Joey M. Pompeo, who says, why don't more Americans like wagons? I think because of the word station. 
station wagon just and the and the movie vacation those well, two things kill it yeah. yeah i suppose so and balance bone says wagons are a big favorite of so many car enthusiasts what car or cars do we wish were built as wagons that mm. aren't currently well some of them are as a matter of fact it's that mercedes cla wagon that we got that they do not bring here sure yeah yeah they also introduced the c-class wagon just recently in mm-hmm. munich it looks so good. It's not an SUV. You would stand out from the crowd. You would be different. And it does the same thing and has the same space as an SUV. It's really frustrating. The cars that we want as wagons already exist. They're just not in the U.S. Well, the WRX and STI always should come in wagon, and I'm bummed that they haven't of late. They should mm-hmm. always come in wagon form. And I have seen a couple of mock-ups where people take the, the prior 86 and the current, uh, the upcoming 86, and they make a wagon version, of, like a two-door shooting break. That's never going to happen, but wouldn't that be <laughs> yeah. cool? Yeah, agreed. Catch our two films on the main YouTube channel mm-hmm. about all eight sports cars under, cheap sports cars, under $8,000, and then we distilled those down to the top five cars that mm-hmm. moved on. Cheap sports cars will always be there, and the driving dynamics will always yeah, be there Yeah, go take a look well. for sure. Cheers, everyone.